Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast, where we bring to you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the owner and founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Matthew of WorkAxel. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on here today. It's a pleasure having you. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you grew up, um, and just a little bit more about the company? For sure. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Luis. And uh, I'm from Montreal. And uh, I am a software engineer. I've done a few different uh, things in the past. And I guess throughout my, my professional career, I had built a lot of enterprise software. There are two different types of engineers in, a lot, in most cases. They're, they're the ones that like to do cutting edge things, VR, AR, a lot, a lot of things that tend to be really cool and, and mm-hmm. you're a pioneer in the field. But uh, my path is a bit different. I, I, I tend to work in, uh, I used to work with legacy systems, old systems like that. So um, in my professional experience, I had worked for uh, Sunlight Financial, I'd worked for IBM, I'd worked for these large organizations that would implement uh, older software systems older enterprise software systems, they were, they were clunky, they were large, and it would just take up a lot of time. So throughout university, I built, uh, built a few different tools that revolved around employee management or, or just centralization of tasks. Mm-hmm. So for Sun Life, I'd centralize the tasks of the mutual fund managers. Uh, I'd put everything in one place so they can access all their clients' info in one place. They can access the mutual fund information in one place. It just enabled them to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. I then went over to a private airline company and then uh, myself and a few others helped build uh, a centralized tool where they'd be able to schedule, manage their, their accounting, manage the clients all from a single place. And uh, you can kind of see the pattern here where I, I was building enterprise systems that all revolved around centralizing processes to make businesses more efficient. Mm-hmm. So uh, one, of my, one of my business partners actually suggested, hey, why don't you do this for employee management? For, for shift workers. And I said, that's, that's a good idea. So we started that and uh, that's how WorkAxel came to be. So WorkAxel is, a, is a, to, a tool that centralizes all processes of anything that revolves around shift work. You can make calls, you can, you can communicate in one platform, manage shifts, change requests, and, and that's what WorkAxel is and how it came to be. And it's essentially super you know, helpful for these people because a lot of the times you see um, this type of, of, of companies that are managing uh, this type of employee that just have so many different things. And a lot of them, and I've, tr- I've seen this firsthand also, is they, they, they almost don't even want to um, do anything this way because it, it seems so overwhelming to them, you know? And I think putting everything in one place is definitely an easier way for them to do it. Um, but I think another very important part of it would be actually making the product very user-friendly. Um, I think a lot of the times that's one of the things that just, it's, it's crazy overwhelming to, to these people. Um, and it's just, that's usually the main reason why they don't want to use it is because it's just complicated. Um, just having everything in one place, making it user friendly and and actually appealing is definitely an easier way to, to get them to use something like this. Hey, you're exactly right, Luis. I mean, the, some of the biggest challenges with these large enterprises that grow quickly um, or who have a lot of employees is actually managing the scale. So that's where our platform kind of uh, steps in and centralizes everything to one place. And I was just in a, I had a client meeting uh, on last Thursday, actually. And, and when I went in and I said, you know, 
the communication on our platform is used so heavily that your employees will actually get off of Messenger, get off of WhatsApp. And then one of the, the business owners says, you're telling me, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, but you're telling me that people are going to move off of Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. and use your platform to communicate. <laughs> and I, I said, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to guarantee you because we see it with all of our other users. Yeah. And the reason is, is because most businesses try to implement a communication to, okay, we're going to use Slack, guys. And then yeah. uh, for, for scheduling, we're going to use this. And then for payroll, this. And then, of course, they're not going to use that other subsystem. If you're just going to have a single subsystem that, that does communication, yeah, might as well use Messenger. It's better. Might as well use WhatsApp. It's probably better. Mm-hmm. In our case, you put it onto one place. If your employees have a single app for for, to know their schedule, to make change requests, to communicate, view documents, everything. That is the app for work and everything else is completely separate. I mean, I get five notifications a day on Facebook saying I have, I have people with, the, with birthdays and I'm not going to start scrolling through to see if there's something for work. It's, it's unreasonable. Absolutely. And um, I mean, uh, I think I'd like to touch on, which is important, is when we first started the product, uh, I'd actually designed it around scheduling for small businesses because a lot of the times, you know, we, as, 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 as SaaS founders or anyone who builds software or anyone who builds anything really is you start building something uh, and, and it's something small. We started building a tool that helped employee uh, employer schedule for small businesses, 20, 30, 40 employees. Mm-hmm. And we were doing it like everyone else. We looked at a few of the competitors. We started building, out something that was simply a glorified Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of our early users, and this is where the importance of, uh, of user-driven development comes into play. One of our early users said, why would I pay for something that is just a glorified Excel spreadsheet? And then I said, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Why <laughs> would you pay for that? And I said, I sat down with him and I said, what would you do? And keep in mind, this guy, this guy's a bit different. Like he's, he's, he's an inventor, you know, he, he builds ice cream machines on the weekend for fun. He like, he, he comes up, he's, he's different, but he's, it was brilliant. I said, how would you do it? And he says, well, you know, I feel like just having employees and then scheduling them cell by cell isn't optimal. I mean, I, as a business owner, know my shifts or know what type of person I would need for my shifts. And then I would just like to click on that shift that I've defined. And then the system would prescribe to me who's available to work. Mm-hmm. And then I'd, I'd take a few steps back because we'd spent a lot of time and a lot of money developing the platform. And it was hard. It's hard to admit to yourself that, I mean, maybe this isn't the best thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have to rework the product. So we took a few steps back. We, uh, we got an uh, original seed investment of about 500K. And uh, we, we decided to build out the platform intelligently from scratch to, to accommodate enterprise, medium to large enterprises. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we've done uh, successfully today. Very cool. And you mm-hmm. touched on a very, very, I think, prominent thing in, in the SaaS industry and just really anything that's digital because it changes so quickly. And it's yeah. something that actually just came up uh, in a podcast that I did earlier today. And then in another one that I did quite some time ago, and that is, you know, being, being open to obviously hearing people and, and their feedback, but most importantly, being open and, and knowing that you're going to have to pivot very, very oh. quickly. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's always going to be things happening, whether it's because someone brought it to your attention and it's this aha moment that you had or because something in the industry, whether it's technology or, you know, some, something of that sort just changes 
and it's completely out of your control whether you want to or not. Um, yes, exactly. It's just having that mentality and just understanding that you're probably going to have to make a big switch at one point and being yeah. okay with that. Of course. And it's the most important thing. And sometimes I hear it and I've, I've been in, I've been in different accelerators. I've been in different incubators and I've spoken to a lot of different business owners and so many of them are, are I'm not going to say headstrong, but are so adamant to keep their product the same. Mm -hmm. Even when people will tell them this, you know, this isn't a use case for me. I'm, I don't actually see a need for this. And you'll hear them say the same, Oh, our, our product brings a certain, uh, a certain value proposition, whatever, insert value proposition there. And that value value proposition is never really validated. That's, that's very, very true. And I think it's, it's always, you know, there's, there's always some ego, uh, I yeah. think behind, behind a lot of the decisions that people make. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I also think that ego is in, in a manner, in a way it's good because if there wasn't any ego, a lot of things wouldn't get done just because, you know, you didn't have that, that drive per se. Yeah. Um, but I think realizing when, you know, obviously that ego is getting out of hand or, and it's very, very clear that it's not the way yeah. that you think it is. You just have to drop it and, and, and just somehow make yourself, you know, realize that what you're doing isn't in your best interest. And, and I think sometimes it's because I knew that was the one thing, you know, I don't know, two, three months ago, five, five years ago, or whatever it may be. And just because you've been working so hard at it, it's almost like you build this emotional, um, this emotional relationship with that idea that you don't want to let it go no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a delicate balancing act. You know, you have to be decisive, but you're eternally a student to, to your clients. You're always listening and you always need to make sure that you're providing the best value and mm -hmm. your clients are going to be the ones to tell you whether or not your product is worth paying for. Yeah. You know, and actually, <laughs> uh, uh, literally, along, right. <laughs> you're going to live or die by it. And along what you said, where sometimes our own product, I mean, I think it ties into a bit with the, the sunk cost fallacy where you, you put so much time into something that sometimes you don't want to admit, or sometimes you just can't see that sometimes you're making mistakes uh actually just last week we had we, we had spoken to someone who you know I'll, I'll speak to different people i'll speak to people in businesses i'll speak to people who, who work and i feel like i give solid advice advice that makes sense mm -hmm. and then when i was talking to this person about my business he was pointing out things and he gave me advice that i would just give to other people and and i took a few steps back i said my god you're right these are things I tell people all the time, but you just told that to me. Yeah. And it's because you, sometimes you just can't see it. And sometimes you're blinded by your own product because you've yeah. been in it for so long and you're so in the trenches that, that you, you don't see it. And I think it's a, it's a human thing. Um, not just with, with products or anything like that. You know, I, I feel like I'm in that situation a lot too, where, you know, I'm trying to give advice to a friend or, or, or something like that. And, and while you're doing it, you realize like I'm telling you how to do these things, but I've never even done it myself, you know? And it's, yeah. it's just this moment yeah. of realization that it's, you know, better. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing is, you know what you need to be doing. You just, for whatever weird reason you don't. And I think that's, and then you start evaluating, you start saying, wait, <laughs> why aren't I doing it? And then you have to start getting into the ugly stuff. You're like, Oh, it's because I'm too, I'm too late. Absolutely. And it's, and it's just being, you know, it's having the courage to, to be, not harsh on yourself, being true to yourself. Yeah. 
understanding, you know, what your weaknesses are and things like that. Um, yeah, exactly. So exactly. One of, I think this is actually a, a, a nice um, transition to another question. And then this is, yeah. and you, you can be, you, let the ego talk if you, if you want to. Um, what, yeah. what is something that, that you would consider one of your biggest accomplishments um, as far as, you know, um, work actual goes? Um, that's, that's, you know what? I would probably say there, uh, there are a few different answers here. One, uh, it's not the amount raised because I, I forget who said it. I think it was Mark Cuban, but it was, it was, um, raising money isn't impressive. It's, it's an obligation, right? When, whenever you have a business raising money is an obligation. So we've raised about uh, a bit over a million, um, before, uh, well, for our seed round. And then what I say is the actual most impressive thing from a technical standpoint, let's say, uh, actually, no, I'll answer your question straight out. The, the <laughs> most impressive thing, because there are a lot of answers here, but the most impressive thing uh, was the patience we had. Um, it's so easy and it's so, so easy to, to listen to people that say, you know, make your sell. When are you going to sell? Build a product, sell. Or then you go to San Francisco and then you hear people say, oh, you know, uh, make sure your, your cost per acquisition is low, but then start raising money. And then you need to go for your seed, your venture, your B round, your C round, your D round. And then you enter this crazy circle of venture funding and you just feel like you should be part of it because everyone's saying it. Or even, or even when you first start a product, there's this crazy mentality, you know, for startups where they say, uh, you know, you have to prove out your idea, build it as soon as possible, make money, and then you iterate on top of that. But although that's true for most businesses where you, yeah, for a small tool, if you want to, you have to prove out the idea, you sell it, then you build on top of it. But when we made that switch from a, a, a software that serves small businesses to medium and large businesses, that changed the whole architecture of the platform. And when we're, when you're building something for medium to large enterprises, the biggest challenge is to have something that is technically sound that's modular, that's secure. And it takes a lot of time to build that properly. So wow. as we took a year to build this and, and to build it properly, you have so many people going, oh, when are you going to sell? Oh, it's not doing well. Oh, you're failing. And all these things. And you're going, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you only have one chance to make a good impression. And we we're fortunate enough to get a large amount of funding early on. So mm -hmm. You have to build properly from the get-go because if you build a pile of shit and then you start selling it, you now are building on a pile of shit. You're building <laughs> on something that is not doesn't have a solid foundation. So yeah, what yeah. I'm going to say is that 99% of the competitors out there, actually all of them that have scheduling, we're all doing the same thing that, that we were doing at first, just a glorified Excel spreadsheet. So yeah, you get your money. Great. I proved this out. I go get my, my C round, my Series A. I get my money, but now I'm building on something. That, that's locked into place for small businesses. Yeah. So having the patience to build it out, build out that, that shift-based thing that that inventor told us. And, and we did it properly. It took a lot of time. But now it's just coming in like water because the yeah. platform just makes sense. And when you show it, it speaks louder than, than just someone saying, oh, I made, I made a, a hundred grand in my first two months of launching because now you look at the platform and, and business owners see value in it because they're going, wow, that could save me a lot of time. And that all just stemmed from us being patient and listening to our clients. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think that's a great answer to the question. Uh, very, very articulate too. So um, with that, you know, obviously, and you touched on this a little bit more, but I, I, I guess I want uh, to have more of a answer to it, not so much spread out, but what it is, you know, the most challenging thing that you've come across. The most challenging thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so is that the question? It's the most challenging thing? Yeah. Yeah. So the most challenging thing, uh, I think. Or actually, let's, let's, split it, let's split it in two. Yeah. What's been the most challenging thing on a personal level while being, building the business? And what's been the most challenging thing as a business? On a personal level, it's actually dealing with your, your own time. You know, it's so hard to unplug. Mm-hmm. You're, you're answering to people. You're, 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 sorry, not answering to people. You're speaking to clients all the time. You're monitoring your email. You're in this constant phase of, of, uh, of checking. You're mm-hmm. checking your phone. You're checking your product. You're not sure if it's, you're, you're always careful. And especially if you're from a software background, when I did software engineering and, and you build products, you know that your software is, it, it could be the best thing in the world, but you're always like this close to something just going wrong or a yeah. user using it differently and something goes wrong. And then you get the email. Oh shit, something's not working. Okay, I got to fix it up. And you can't just, you can't just do that nine to five and then you unplug, mm-hmm. you relax with family. You're always middle of the night focused. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. It takes a toll on, on your personal relations and family for sure. So before you answer the other question, the other yeah. half of the question, yeah. how do you deal with that? Or how, how, how do you approach it in a way that obviously, you know, it's healthy because I've with working with SaaS companies and, and it's, that's so true. It's something that I see every single day um, yeah. when I'm, you know, I communicate with some of them through Slack and things like that. And they'll be on at really any hour of the day, no matter what day it is, it's, it's 4am for them. And I'll see them on or like 2am on a Sunday and they'll be on like doing something um, where they'll send me like an email during that time. And I'm like, do you ever rest? Right. It, it, I don't know. It just kind of baffles me. Like you, you truly, you're always available. Um, And I think that, it can be a big issue. And, and I, I understand, you know, being passionate about what you do and, and obviously loving what you do, but I think there's gotta be a balance um, regardless of how much you love it. Obviously there's family that, you know, you want to spend time with. There's other things other than just being available for other people at all times. For sure. For sure. And I think the biggest help in that is to, to respect your own time. I think uh, there, there's a video there's a video going around and it was, uh, it was about Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. They were on a, and obviously I'm not comparing myself to, to them at all, but they were in an interview and, and they're talking about time management and Bill Gates used to always be super busy, pack, 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 pack. And then he met Warren Buffett and Warren Buffett would have maybe three or four meetings mm-hmm. in a month. You know, it's a bit extreme, but it goes to show. And, and, and Bill was saying, he was going, He's going, I used to think that how busy I was was a proxy of how productive I was. So if I'm busy all the time, I must be very productive. But then you realize that just because you're running around and you're doing everything all the time 
doesn't mean that that you're yielding the best results or the best outcome. You have to respect your own time. And once you learn to respect your own time, and that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of last couple of months. And I've seen the changes when you actually set boundaries for your own schedule and you say, okay, I'm only available from this time to this time, or I can only do this from this time to this time. You may have the odd emergency message where you go, okay, now go time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start, you start actually filtering out a lot of the noise and you start going, wow, a lot of stuff I was doing, could have just waited mm-hmm. could have just gone the next day you know it doesn't have to be now 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 all the time and it's not going to affect the final outcome so learn to respect your time mm-hmm. and when you respect your time you're actually your quality of life at home becomes better and in turn your quality of, of your business time mm-hmm. just becomes a lot better too yeah and this is something that's heard people say and now i say it right mm-hmm. or for most of us here in this space we're not doctors, you know, like nobody's going to die if that email doesn't get answered in two hours um, or if it waits overnight. Right. So I think it's just having the right mentality and, and, and knowing how to approach everything and when to approach everything. Like you said, obviously, yeah, some things are urgent and they need to be taken care of. Um, but there's other things that can definitely wait. And so like, you don't have to be glued to whatever platform you use. Um, to be yeah. communicating with someone or trying to fix little issues that aren't going to be a big deal. Um, but it's just really understanding uh, when and where you have to be available for, for people and for yourself, obviously, too. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, so as a company, what's been the most challenging thing? Mm, uh, I'll go back to my answer of being patient. Being, being patient was difficult because you have people who want to see uh, results quick, mm-hmm. but because we didn't go down the VC route, we weren't forced into anything stupid because I think some of the stupid decisions or some of the, the stupidest decisions that come out for most startups or, or businesses. And you hear about it all the time. It's, it's you're rushing to hit numbers mm-hmm. and, and by rushing to hit numbers, you take sometimes drastic measures. Sometimes you stay up, but you don't respect your own time. You know, it, it kind of segues into that, but when you're forced to do things uh, just to hit targets, you don't build out a product that's in the best interest of the client. So mm-hmm. we took the time to properly build out a product that's in the best interest of the client. And that was the hardest thing because you have so many people mm-hmm. and everyone, and you hear it all the time from in San Francisco, from, from investors, from, uh, from people who also own businesses, incubators, oh, oh, but it's been months. Mm-hmm. months why, why aren't you selling it it's been months and it's just relax yeah. take your time build a product that's sound and and i come from a again i come from the software standpoint and and patience is essential to building out a good product if you deliver something that's garbage you're, yeah. you're done you're done with that person and uh, you're not going to get anywhere <laughs> absolutely and uh, that's actually something that we talked about in that last podcast also is you know how you obviously find product market fit, but you also have to find investor fit. Um, and that is, you know, not rushing into anything just because this shiny object um, is, you know, there at the, at the end of the, at the end of the road or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's just essentially what would be ideal um, or what we talked about being ideal in that scenario is instead of just having, you know, the mentality to go and sell to whoever is willing to give you money have multiple investors interested and then you're the one choosing which one's going to be, you know, the best one to go with, which one is going to have the best interest. Exactly. Um, 
and, and just understanding that there are options out there. And if you're patient enough and you actually build a good product, they'll be coming to you. Um, Honestly, you couldn't have said it better. Like for, for our first round, we, for, for the first round, we got, we got 500 K we built out the product, uh, in, in the new way for medium and large enterprises. And it was astounding. Then reached out to a few VCs and uh, I, I, had, I was speaking to VCs for every day for about a, a month or two. And all of them were interested. Mm-hmm. All of them were, were willing to throw money, but then you realize that money isn't difficult to come across if you build something that's needed in the market. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get to pick who it is you want to go with. And I'll say, I say it all the time, but I'll say it again. It's, it's, it's way too easy to be attracted by a, a couple of million, especially when you start, when, when you see that number, when you go, oh, I can, I can get 10 million to start and get 25 million for this. But then what are you giving up? Generally you give up control of some sort yeah, absolutely. You're a position on the board. You're giving up, you're giving up a huge amount of equity. And then you have these terms to spend the money within 12 months or 12 or 18 months. And then once you spend it, has anyone in the history of, of mankind had issues, have issues spending money? I don't think <laughs> anyone has ever had problems spending money. I give you, I give you $10 million today and I say to spend it by tomorrow. No, no problem. You call you buy your car, buy a house, buy whatever you want. Yeah. But, but the reason is, is because then you have to go for another another round of funding that's going to be for more money. You then get you then get diluted more, but you don't have preferred share, so you get diluted again from those first guys, and then you end up having nothing, and it's not even your business anymore. It's not your vision. It's not your business. It's not in your client's interest. It is in your shareholders' interest all the time. More importantly, your investors' interest. So, this is where I think having this pool of investors and saying, okay, how am I going to get this trade-off of I want to maintain control and build a product the way I see while not, while still having enough money to operate. So that's why we took a lesser amount, but to but maintain control mm-hmm. entirely so that we build the product out in a sound way. And all the investors that are in work Axel are actually completely in line and in the same direction. And we don't have anyone who's just trying to make a quick flip or make this a pump and dump scheme where, you know, you, you pump the business up, you make it go public and then, you know, chow by and then yeah. it tanks, you get delisted. You know, it's not, that's not the type of business we want to run. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, one, one of the, what is, you know, one of the things that is kind of, if you could do one thing for work Axel right now, what yeah. would it be? If I could do one thing, if I could do one thing, it would probably be, are, are we, are there limits on what I could do? Like, do I have magic powers? Or, or, uh, no, yeah. You, like, you can do whatever you want. Uh, it, it would be getting a demo with every single shift based, uh, director of operations of businesses. So, so I'm talking about hospitals, oil rigs, mm-hmm. uh, restaurants, retail, anything that has shift workers. Uh, if I can just have a demo with them. Yeah. What's great because like, that's it, man. It's a demo. Because as soon as we have the demo, we get the client. That's all it is. What's the close rate? A hundred percent. Pretty much at this point it is. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And I mean, the, the only reason why it so, sometimes it's not is because the, the product's too expensive, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it has to be because we built a premium product and you have, and I'm in Quebec and Quebec's this weird, um, 
place where anyone you speak to will always have the best product and they got it at the best, the cheapest price. Like no matter what, they got the best thing at the cheapest price somehow. So you end up with people haggling and, and they'll go, oh, you know, uh, I see your product is X amount of dollars per user, but, but this company's charging me X amount. You know, can, can you match that? And we'll say like, no, you know, like if you, you want a product for a reason, it's because it's well-made, it's well, it, it helps you. You're gonna be saving time and money. And more importantly, you're gonna be able to unify your organization and actually use that to drive revenues. Mm-hmm. If you want something that just does scheduling, kind of, or you want something that just does communication, kind of, then get those things. Yeah. And then you'll come back to us in the long term. But we're an investment. You know, get us and it'll help your business. Very cool. No, I like that. That that I mean, and it, it it's I feel like it's not just, you know, where you're at. I think it's something that happens pretty much on a global scale. You always come with this nice product and they really, really want it. But for some reason they think that they can get it for cheaper um, or that it's not valuable enough to pay, you know, the price that was put on it. And I mean, I, I, I honestly have a hard time understanding why people work like that. I'm like, I get it. Obviously you want to save money, but when, when you, you know, tell them to do the same thing with their business. Let's say they get a client and they come in and they want to haggle them and say, Oh, can I get this product for, you know, 10%, 15% cheaper? No, it's not on sale. So yeah. it, you, whenever you, whenever you switch it around, then, then somehow they magically understand it. Um, oh my God. <laughs> I know it's great. And you know what, along those, those same lines, we used to say, you know, you get, uh, you try, try it for a month free you know just try it and and we still do that for some major accounts places that have like a ton of locations and and they pilot it in in one location but the thing is when you do free pilots or free trials you're gonna get the expected usage out of that 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 pilot because the person paid nothing if someone you don't value it yeah they, they don't value it i mean when i get free trials to stuff i go oh it's a free trial i don't really care like i go in for two seconds and i go oh too hard and i, and I leave it you know <laughs> it, it's a, it's like a relationship yeah having a product that's for enterprise anything that's medium to large is like getting into a relationship mm-hmm. you really need to to sit down use that product have people on it and then when they're on it you'll learn over time how to extract the best value out of it yeah. it's not going to come from a one month free trial of course it's not mm-hmm. and the feedback you're going to get is going to be pretty useless because they're not paying for it if i pay for something and it doesn't work or i don't like it i'm going to be vocal i'm going to say i don't like it because of x y z that's great feedback mm-hmm. because i paid money for this it should do x y z yeah. now if i if it was free and it doesn't work i go eh, nothing lost it, I like, it's okay you know whatever mm-hmm. and then i just move on that's not great that's not valuable it's detrimental to success of anything. So I don't think we should have free pilots or free trials in most cases and, and doing that 15% off thing or when people ask for a discount, unless you're a massive contract and you know, no, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think you touched on something, you know, it kind of devalues a product whenever you do that. And, and for example, especially the, the, for enterprise, right. Um, it's, yeah. Like you said, it, it takes a lot of work um, usually to to kind of get everyone on board and, and getting on boarded usually for enterprise level 
um, SaaS, it could be a whole month just to get everything taken care of. And that's something that people don't realize, but essentially you're on there. And a lot of the value that comes from this is, is kind of like the byproduct, right? So you have the cool SaaS product and, and everything, but the really valuable stuff is going to come afterwards when you see, you know, efficiencies come from, from your employees and you see that you have a more unified company uh, and people have better communication with each other. And that's invaluable. And you, I mean, you can't, you can't really put a price on that. And I think anyone that experiences that kind of change within a company is going to be pretty rare um, for them to go from, from using, for example, work axle to using a different product, just because it, it, it's like a relationship and it's hard to break. It's serious business. You know, when you make a purchase like that, or you're actually making a change in your organization, Mm -hmm. it's a change. It's not just buying a small scheduling tool or a small communication tool. You know, there's a quote that was attributed to Henry Ford. And he said, if, if I had asked people, uh, what they'd wanted yeah. they would have said faster horses yeah you know yeah you can get a tool that just helps you schedule quicker mm-hmm. but you're still scheduling in in a way that's suboptimal you yeah. can buy a tool to help you communicate but if you don't communicate properly on that tool you're just helping you do something mm-hmm. improperly quicker <laughs> you know so so it's a change and change is the hardest thing in any organization but as soon as you make a change and then you start, you go in with an open mind. Mm-hmm. And this is, this goes back to what we started with by saying, you know, we have to be eternal students and, but decisive and not let our egos get in the way. So when you make a change in an organization and you actually commit to it and you're open-minded for a month, two months, mm-hmm. you go, wow, yeah. how, how was I doing it before? Mm-hmm. And now you have people who are willing to promote your product and, and actually make a change because they went in open-minded instead of being, oh, you know, we do it our way and we just want to do it quicker our way. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think being open minded in any um obviously personal or work or anything related is just one of it's a very, very good trait to have. And you see that, you know, probably and I'm sure this is the case for you and literally everyone else, whenever you're dealing with someone that has an open mind and is open to listening to different points of views and, and, and even just hearing you out, there's people that are so stubborn that they don't want to listen. They they just don't want to listen. But just being able to 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 hear someone out and, and understand their ideas and where they're coming from is so valuable. Uh, it's a, such a valuable trait to have, and and it it can I think it leads to very very good relationships, uh, both on a personal level and a business level as well. Um, so I think you you can kind of tell who's going to be you know a good client um, right from yeah. pretty much maybe the first couple of sentences of, of really talking to them. Um, so. With that being said, um, we're getting kind of close here to the time, but essentially one of the questions that I started asking is what SaaS companies do you look up to? Not, not necessarily the founders or executive positions in there, but just the, the company as a whole. Company as a whole, man. Are we talking about early stage or late stage? There's a lot, the big, uh, the mm. big range. That's a good question too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're very different. Early stage, they're. I, I guess someone that is kind of in in you know a similar stage as you. A similar stage as mine. What SaaS products do I look up to? Uh, I'd probably say I really like uh, Michael Dia 
from Funalytics. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, his content is good. The product is so simple, so simple, but he's killing it. He's killing it. And I mean, honestly, I think, I think a gold mine is selling a product to market, selling a product to marketers. If you're a marketer, you're willing to spend money. You're willing to try <laughs> shit out. Like you're, you don't care. You're, yeah. We have a guy uh, in, in work, Axel, who he's a marketing maniac. He's amazing. He's phenomenal. But, but he he has so many subscriptions to everything on the planet, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm the opposite. I see something. I'm like, I don't really need this. Like, yeah. Maybe, you know, I'll try it. But he gets everything. So Michael Dia from Funalytics, I think, is killing it. He targeted a good niche, made a, a simple product. That very, very simple. Just, oh one, just one feature that everyone – somehow missed um but yeah he it's crazy he created a very yeah. he made what i think 200 uh 208k in the first uh two months i think or something like that i'm not entirely uh, sure um, yeah. he's doing well <laughs> uh, i like his i like i like his energy and his charisma and uh i don't know too much about like the what the behind the scenes are like but mm-hmm. just from the the client facing side i think he's doing a very very good job he's definitely doing a very good job and i think he started a podcast too uh, not too long ago maybe i'll try to get him on here and pick his brains a little bit but yeah he was he's he's a cool guy and uh, uh, yeah he looks cool <laughs> <laughs> he looks cool like, like you know people you look at and you go man I, <laughs> i'd hang out with you like you look yeah. like someone hang out with yeah that's funny that that's michael yeah absolutely and uh it's i don't know if you're a reader but are there any books um that you'd recommend for people that are listening or watching um I'm most definitely not a reader, as, as odd as that is. I'll uh, I'll actually, I, I like audiobooks a lot. But but that being said, I like originals a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, for, I forget who wrote it, but originals is is a very very was a very interesting read, and it gets into the mind of people or or just anyone who's competitive or why you are that way. Mm-hmm. And and it. And this kind of loops back to what we were originally saying. I think that book really helps you identify why you make certain decisions and how you became to be who you are or how you behave or why you behave a certain way. So um, originals helped me analyze a lot of the things that, that, that I had to digest whenever I was making a decision. Why am I making this decision? Is this intelligent or am I just doing this because uh, I, of, of, of my journey? You know, so Original cool. is a great book. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. It sounds kind of similar to this book called um, "The Road Less Stupid," and <laughs> it says it, it it tells you to take and it's apparently you know it's it, it's true. It's the one thing that pretty much every human doesn't do enough of, and that's just thinking, just sitting down and thinking um, about yeah. decisions and, and and answers to the questions that we have, and it tells you to sit down, have one question sit down for like 20 to 45 minutes and just write all the answers you can think of for that one um, question. And, and I did it one time and it just like, it, it was pretty life changing. Um, I actually stopped reading the book like halfway. Um, so I have to keep reading that, but it was, it was a good book. Um, if you ever want to check it out, I don't know if they have an audible, they probably do. Probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very, very good book for what I read. <laughs> um, other than that, do you I'll have, any check it out. yeah, check it out, man. Um, do you have any questions for me? Uh, yeah. How, how did you start your podcast? Cause I mean, it's, it's always, you, you started something as well. And 
starting yeah. a podcast it's tricky especially when you first begin you need interviews you need, yeah. you need a process in place to, to get people and actually i really liked your whole process of actually getting me into the the podcast it was really um well, what's the what's the word it was really uh it was thought out well yeah you know? it made me want to go down your your funnel essentially yeah. more <laughs> i know when you invited me to 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 the facebook group um you welcomed me you then put a meme at the bottom. I think meme marketing is like, so 2019, it works well. Yeah. And then it actually made me answer a few questions. And as I was making that decision, I was telling myself again, because of some of the stuff I, I read in originals. And I was going, I was going, why am I answering this? Like, I don't answer 99% of these things, but yeah. it just, it was such a nice process and it was well thought out that I appreciated the thought put into the process. And I said, okay, if he's, if he's this methodical in his process, yeah. then, then it's probably worth doing a, a yeah. podcast. For sure. <laughs> that's great to hear. I've, you're actually <laughs> the first person that's mentioned, you know, the, the whole process behind it. Um, but essentially I've been in advertising for quite some time, not always with SaaS companies. I worked with a couple of, I worked at a couple of agencies before um, and I got the chance, to, I got the opportunity to work with some SaaS companies. I just fell in love with it. Um, one of the things that I really like is the, the, the ecosystem as a whole, just the atmosphere that, you know, that, that all these people like yourself and just all the founders have, um, it's different. It's very different, um, people. I, I don't know how else to put it, but it's just, you get this different vibe from them. And, uh, I really wanted to continue working with them. And so I started my agency and then I niched down on SaaS companies and, uh, I could not think of a way to get in touch with SaaS founders. So I said, I'm just going to do a podcast and uh, I, I'll get to, you know, interview them, learn more about them and actually create a relationship with them instead of just trying to, I, I don't know, just, you know, trying to like cold call them or something like that. But essentially it's just, it's just a more unique um, and genuine approach um, to take, I think. And that was yeah, pretty sure. much the reason behind it. Um, the, funnel side of it is essentially it is pretty thought out um but i just want to create my little tribe of people <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you did a good job for sure yeah. uh, thank you matt uh for for being on here with me today it's a pleasure talking with you and uh, obviously learning a little bit more about um work axle and you know everything that pretty much went on to to create this product for um a lot of different niches that you work with which is very very interesting um and and really cool so I really appreciate taking the time of your day to be on here with me, chat, learn a little bit more about you and share your journey and your history. Um, for anyone that's listening or watching, if you like the content, subscribe. Uh, if you're a SaaS founder, entrepreneur, make sure to join the group, SaaS Ad Lab. Just look that up and you can find that. And if you want to be um, featured on the podcast, just either let me know or go through the funnel that Matt had to go through. And uh, other than that, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, my, well, you can always find WorkAxle at WorkAxle.com. Um, and as for myself personally, you can find me on, on Facebook for the most part or on LinkedIn. I'm pretty big on LinkedIn as well. I had a Mathieu Dieb, you know, my full French name, yeah. M-A-T-H-I-E-U and then Dieb, D-I-A-B. Or I think I'm, I think I changed it to Matt just to make it more like, <laughs> make you it know, universal, universal, you know, yeah. Matt Dieb. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you can find me, I'm mostly on Instagram, but that's like a very personal level. I don't know if you want to follow me on there. It's Camacho.f2m. And also Phantom Agency's on there is just phantom.agency. We're trying to be more active on Twitter. So follow that also. Uh, so 
thank you, uh, Matt, so much for being on here today. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot for having me, and I and I really enjoyed it. Awesome, glad to hear that. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Have a great night. Bye bye. You too. Bye.